Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. I had several people ask me if I was going to say something about uh, the election and different things like that. And I'm just going to say this. I'm going to be done with it. Um, I don't understand here in the United States where, you know, you can have robotic surgery. I mean, like, you can have surgery in Atlanta and the surgeon be in California and robotically do that surgery. You know, we, can, we got a guy that can shoot a rocket into space and then have that rocket come back down and land and use it again but we can't count votes in one day. We really need to let Chick-fil-A do it. We really do. We need to let Chick-fil-A. They'll do it quicker, they'll do it more accurately, and it'll be their pleasure. <laughs> Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter 9. We're going to pick up where we left off here, and let's really focus on the Word of God today. Acts chapter 9, we're going to pick up in verse 32. Remember, coming uh, on the heels of this next section, the church is prospering. Um, there's this edification going on in the church. People are being encouraged, uplifted. Some say now it's up to 25,000 people uh, have been saved and are uh, appropriated and assimilated into a local church uh, there. Uh, the, remember, the book of Acts is about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. And, and that's where we come in as the church in 2020. We're still going out into the uttermost parts of the world. And when you take an overview, actually, of the book of Acts, you see it really... It's the acts of the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit coming and filling the church, and, and it's moving forward for the prop, propagation of the gospel around the world. And God really uses two men in particular through the book of Acts, predominantly. Now, he uses a lot of different individuals, but there are two prominent people that just really kind of come out when you read the book of Acts. Uh, one is a man by the name of Peter, and the other is a man by the name of Paul. God uses these two men, um, predominantly we find in Scripture, but not exclusively. Uh, we find in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, really the story of Peter. It's really the story of Peter. And then in chapters 13 through the end, it's the story of Paul, how God uses Paul. So how God uses Peter in the first half and how God uses Paul in the second half. Now, sandwiched right in the middle of uh, Acts... That would be right around chapters 9 through chapter 13 or chapter 12, right around in there. There's this interlude. And this interlude really is a transition. It moves, if you would, from Peter to Paul. It's a, really, it's a fascinating study when you take a step back and look at it to see how God uses Peter and then how God transitions and uses Paul. Now, remember, these two men are operating underneath one mission, and that's the Great Commission. To see the gospel spread in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. And God is going to use what he has called the bride, his bride, which is the church. That is, individuals that receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, join together with a local body of believers to worship God on the first day of the week. In this particular season of the church's life, persecution has come upon the Judaistic church through Judaism. 
there has been a reprieve, if you would, on the Christian persecution. So the Christian church is growing in this season. Paul has left Jerusalem, and he's going to be gone, some scholars say, uh, approximately, give or take a year, 10 years. We will see him again predominantly in chapter 13. But during this season, we're going to look at Peter. And God's going to use Peter in an amazing way as God is going to break down some prejudice in his heart so that he can see some Gentiles saved. Now, God calls each one of us to specific ministries. I used this example in the first hour, and, and it would be good to use it this hour. I'm looking for some of my staff members. Who do I have in here? Is my staff in this? They're usually all teaching during this hour. All right, they're all teaching this hour. That's good. So let me just use it like this. David, Pastor David, uh, he just got called or he would be in here uh, to teach a Sunday school class. A teacher's not here today, so he's down there teaching. But Pastor David has been called in the arena of evangelism. Now, he is to fulfill the Great Commission. But he is an evangelist. And God uses him in the arena of evangelism. God has called me in the arena to be a pastor. I am to do the work of an evangelist. But I see the church as a whole moving from this point, moving forward as we propagate the gospel throughout the uh, Great Commission in, in that eyes. David sees individuals uh, passionately, passionately. And to be honest with you, he thinks everybody ought to see, see people as passionately as he sees them because God has given him the gift of the evangelist. Now God in giving me the gift of pastoring, being able to pastor a church... I see many other things, wanting to see you grow up in Jesus Christ and not just be a spiritual babe, but watch your maturity. But I, too, must do the work of an evangelist. But we both participate in relationship to the Great Commission. Uh, I could use Dennis and Margaret McCall in the same way. God called them as missionaries. And they served on the mission field for many, many years until they retired and, and came back home. And God called them to that specific ministry. But we participated together in the Great Commission. And, and by the way, I, I want to just say this concerning the Great Commission. Uh, Brother Dennis and Miss Margaret both designed our, our wall out there with our missionaries. If you haven't seen it, we've updated that. It looks excellent, uh, Brother Dennis. Thank you so very much for that. And he helps in our missions ministry here at the church. But God calls us to these specific ministries. The same thing is true with Peter and Paul. God had called Peter in response to the Great Commission, and his giftedness is towards the Jews. Paul, on the other hand, has this great giftedness towards the Gentiles. And God said, when Paul got saved, remember his name was Saul. He changed his name after he got saved. But Paul, when he got saved, God told, told uh, uh, the, the, that one that was with him, said, look, the, the bottom line regarding uh, Paul is this. He is going to be my witness to the Gentiles and to kings and to the children of Israel. So he's going to hit everybody. And Paul is spending some time right now getting educated, getting things ready, getting some things straight in his head before God releases him in chapter 13. Peter, on the other hand, has a different challenge in his heart. He really thinks that Jesus is only for the Jews. And so, so well, didn't we see him in Samaria? Yeah, he was in Samaria, but Samaria still was, was, there was a lot of Jews there, even though there were some Gentiles there. But it would be, it would be good to say that he, he didn't deal a lot with them. He dealt with the Jews, even though some Gentiles got saved. He is struggling in his heart with this prejudice. 
We're going to see as God does a great work in his life as now he being the only disciple that we find to obey the Great Commission and come out of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and make his way to the other most parts of the world. Notice what happens to Peter beginning in chapter number 32. And as we see God work in his life, the title of the sermon is A Church with a Heart. What is the heart of the church? Uh, the heart of the church. Look at what the scripture says in verse 32. Now, <clears throat> it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that uh, he also came down to the saints that dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and was turned to the Lord. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the Word of God. So during this time of peace in the Christian church, it's flourishing. And here we find a man, if you would, by the name of Peter. And when you read this text, you really see that there are three miracles that are performed here. Now, you might say, wait a minute, Pastor, I, you just read this. There are only two miracles. Well, there are actually three. Two we see, one is implied. It's implied through the context and history that we find. Yes, we see in this passage of Scripture that this one that was in Lydda, uh, here, Aeneas, being sick with palsy for eight years or bedridden for eight years as he was paralyzed, we find that Paul, excuse me, Peter is used by God to touch his body and heal him. This healing that came upon Aeneas is very fascinating because it is a healing of the body. But there's a second miracle. The second miracle is this one by the name of Tabitha. Tabitha, who is now dead, we find that Peter, when he gets there, tells her to get up. And she comes back to life again. This miracle is one of which that we find in the body and the spirit. And then there's a third miracle. That miracle is in Peter's life. Peter is called to see these Gentiles who love Jesus with all their heart. sees as witnessing God do a great work in their life. The bottom line is simply this. 
God cares about everyone. And he wants the world to be saved. His desire is that none would perish, but everyone would come to repentance. So as you read this story, you really see the heart of the church as it comes to the forefront. We learn three things about the heart of the church. The heart of the church needs to be one that has a heart for humans. That's the first point I want you to see. A heart for humans. The Bible says in verses 32 through 35 that there was this situation that occurred. And during this situation that occurred here in this city of Lydda, Aeneas needed healing. The Bible tells us that it came to pass that as Peter went through all parts of the country. Now I find it fascinating that the rest of the disciples, the rest of the apostles, they're in Jerusalem. We know that Paul has left Jerusalem and he is going and he's going to get educated. He's going to get some things straight in his head concerning this issue of Christianity in regards to Judaism and how Christianity is better. And here is Peter saying, God called us to go to the uttermost parts of the world. I'm going. And he left and he's traveling through the countries and he's getting to these Gentiles one of which he has struggled with and has been challenged with. But we find here, if it comes to the church, our job, our responsibility is to have a heart for humans. And could I just go on record and say this? Daniel, some people are hard to love. I mean, we all have them. Family members that are difficult to love. And those family members that are of a, of a different political uh, stance than you are uh, at this season in our lives seem to be the hardest to love. Can I get a witness right there? But we are called to have a heart for humans. We are called to love individuals and care about their souls. And in regards to their souls, we find that here is the church globally, locally, globally, as it's moving out and as it's growing. The church has a heart for humans. It has a heart for individuals. They weren't just a mass of people to to God. God knew them specifically and knew the even hairs on their heads. Some say that perhaps there were 25,000 people that were saved just in these very few months of ministry that the church is existing in, and God is using them in a real way, in such a way that he brings up four individuals that are worthy of looking at today. Number one, the first one we see is a man by the name of Peter. God is doing a work in Peter's heart. Up until now, Peter has been thinking that the gospel is only for the Jews. So God sends him to Lydda, which is 25 miles from Jerusalem, but it's primarily a Gentile city. And God is breaking down the walls of prejudice in his heart and he's learning what God wants to teach him and what Paul is learning too that he later writes about in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. Paul said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye all are one in Christ Jesus. There is only one race when it comes to Jesus Christ. That's the human race. And God wants everybody to be born again. God loves individuals. Can I just say this today? Listen to me, friend. I don't know where you're at with your walk with Christ. You may not even have a walk with Christ. You may not know where you're going to spend an eternity. You may be here today and say, Preacher, if I died, 
I would split hell wide open. I don't know Christ. I've never trusted Christ. The only reason I'm here today is my wife asked me to come, or my mama asked me to come, or my parents made me come. And it is absolutely amazing to me that you are here because God has a word for you today. And that word for you today is He loves you. You are an individual in His eyes. You're not just a number. You're not just a person. You're an individual with a soul. He knows the very hairs on your head. He knows your name. He knew you before you were even born. And because He loves you, He sent Jesus Christ to die on Calvary's cross so that you might be born again. I don't care if you're listening in this room. I don't care if you're listening uh, on a truck stop. It doesn't matter if you're listening, sitting in your living room. Listen to me, friend. God loves you. He loves you. And He cares for you as an individual. So much so that if you'd have been the only person on this planet, he would have sent his son to die for you. He loves individuals. I'm so grateful that he loved me. You remember the day you got saved? You're going to talk about being thankful. March 22nd, 1988, as a 14-year-old boy, I heard a preacher preach the gospel. I can't tell you the points that he made. I can't tell you what we sang. All I can tell you is when he gave an invitation, I thought my heart was going to beat right out of my chest. I turned loose of that pew in front of me. I stepped out into the aisle. I came forward. I gave the man of God my hand, and I gave Jesus my heart. He changed my life forever in such a way that I stand before you today as a God-called preacher to say simply this, I'm not perfect. I'm like Peter, but thank God he's not done with me yet, and praise God I've been redeemed. Let me just say this too. You might be a guest here, and you may be listening. You say, I'm going to tell you why I don't come to that church. Y'all a bunch of hypocrites, a bunch of imperfect people. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. A hypocrite is someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm saved by the grace of God. I'm not perfect yet. I'll admit that. In fact, I find myself on many occasions singing that old vacation Bible school song. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. But how loving, patient he must be. Because he's still working on me. How many of you remember that song? All the old people. God bless you. Man. God cares about you. He cares about you. Number two, not only do we see Peter, but let me show you a second person. We also see Aeneas. In verses 33 through 30, 34, we see this crippled man for eight years. But we also see that in the Scripture, instantaneously, he's healed. He's healed. Why? Because the church has a heart for humans. And because there's a heart for humans, God cares about individuals. It's hard to resist when you look at this passage of Scripture that this sickness that we're seeing in these two accounts represents the, the awful sickness that we have today, and that's the sickness of sin. And it's the sickness of sin that has separated us from God. It is worse than being crippled. It's worse, uh, if you would, in even uh, in, call, in the cause of cancer or any type of disease. For that sin, unless you reconcile it with God and come to the healer, the great physician God, sin will send you to hell. Because we are sinners, there is a separation 
between our relationship with God. And the only way to restore that relationship back with God is to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. There are some things I think. There are some things I hope. But I'm telling you, there's absolutely one thing I've got to be sure about, and that is where I'm going to spend an eternity. Could I ask you this, dear friend? Where are you going to spend an eternity? Where are you going to spend an eternity? This life is not all there is. You will die and you will live forever somewhere. Where are you going to spend an eternity? Thank God for Jesus. And this little boy just testified. He said, bless God, I'm going to heaven. That preacher's finger gets longer and longer every time. I'm telling him, I'm going to heaven, preacher. Quit preaching at me. (laughs) The Bible says that Aeneas was crippled for eight years. But just like that, instantaneously, he was healed. Look at the third one, Tabitha. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking about Dorcas, aren't you? Pastor, why aren't you calling her Dorcas? Because I like Tabitha. Tabitha here is this beautiful demonstration of incredible faith. The incredible faith of the disciples. You see, up to this point, there's no record of any apostles raising anybody from the dead. But they believed here in this passage of Scripture, Peter believed in the power of Christ. And I love in this text, I love what he says when he says there in the text, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. It was not about him. It was all about Christ. Jesus does the healing, just like Jesus does the saving. Every day, a long list of names appears under the obituaries. And some like to look up those things and see if they know anybody. And the older we get, the more people we know. But mostly we pass over most of the names and we know one day our name will be there. But God cares for you. And though your name may be in that paper on that day of your obituary, you can rest assured and know for certain that your name will be in the Lamb's Book of Life, written because Jesus Christ can be your Savior today. We know that God cares about individuals. And then there's a fourth individual here I need to point out as I am quickly running out of time. There's a man by the name of Simon the Tanner. Simon the Tanner. Who is Simon the Tanner? Look at verse number 43, if you would. The Scripture tells us there. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a Tanner. A tanner is a taxidermist. This season of deer season, and uh, many people uh, want to take their deer to be processed and have a taxidermist do something with the deer head. And the taxidermist has to deal with dead things. This is an important analogy here that we see here in this text because when Peter goes to Joppa and he's invited to stay at this taxidermist house, Peter clearly understands in his mind that this man skins dead animals. He tans their hides. And he turns around and and sold those hides. We know that he did this as a profession. 
But it was important to note that in Judaism, you could not associate with someone that touched dead animals. So in Peter's mind, he's reconciling the fact that he has to stay with Simon, who is a tanner, and yet knowing that he's born again, he knows Jesus Christ is his Savior, and there's this conflict in his heart. And the Scripture is revealing to us that Simon, although in the past, before he got saved, could not associate with this man because of his profession, now has been asked to come and stay in his house. And he's not going to stay just for a little while, and not, not just for one day. The Bible tells us here that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. And so we find in this text, when we read this text, that God is working on him in such a way that he would release, if you would, this Judaistic legalism that he's been inundated with and take another step closer to the freedom that grace offers to him as he is, as he, uh, is there with Simon. And he says, Simon, I kn- I'm going to stay with you. I know what you do. And I know that Jesus Christ is bigger than what you do. The world may look at you as being unclean, Simon. But as you were born again, you were clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. God cares for individuals. He has a heart for humans. Therefore, you and I need to have a heart for humans as well. Last week, or just this past week, I was in South Dakota. And as we were there... um, uh, my room key, as well as everybody else's room key, just didn't work. I stayed in room 120. And every day I'd have to go to the desk and say, my key don't work. My key don't work. My key don't work. Every single day, my key don't work. And the lady didn't ask my name every time. She didn't care what my name was. She didn't care. All she wanted to know was this. What room number are you in? What room number are you in? Not a one time did she, I was just a number to her. When we got to the airport, yes, they took my license and they looked at the picture and then looked at me and looked at the picture and then looked at me and then handed me back and then they wanted to know this. What's your confirmation number? They didn't care what my name was. All they wanted was my confirmation number. When I talk on the phone to an individual, they say, who am I speaking with? I tell them my name and what they want to know even more than that. What is your account number? What is the account number that's associated with your name? Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I say that to say this. Regardless of what you do for a profession, Jesus Christ doesn't see you just as a number. He doesn't see you as a room number. He doesn't see you as a confirmation number. He doesn't see you as a a driver's license number. He sees you as an individual. And as he looks and sees you as an individual, he doesn't care what you do for a living, but he does care where you're going to spend an eternity. And by the grace of God, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on Calvary's cross. And the Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John chapter 10, verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and they know me. Matthew chapter 10, verse 30 says, But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. You are not just a number. Your hair may be, but God knows who you are. And as a church of Jesus Christ, it's our responsibility to have the same heart for our community. To have a heart for humans. 
Not only do we see the heart of a church is to have a heart for humans. There's a second thing I want you to notice here. And that is to have a heart like Jesus in the church. We need to have a heart for helping. A heart for helping. Verses 36 through 39. Notice what the Bible says in verse 36. This is a wonderful passage of scripture. The Bible says in at Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha. Which is translated Dorcas. This woman, watch this, was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today that if you're going to be a a 21st century church, if you're going to be a church that follows after what the first century church did, then we've got to have a heart for helping. The Bible says she was full of good works. It means that she lived a life where she not only loved God, but she loved others. She loved others. You know, I got to thinking, a stapler is an amazing tool. You ever thought about this? It holds together papers, files, and it's just such a small thing. It's not much metal at all. It's very tiny. But it's all about how that metal is bent. And what's fascinating about a stapler is that little plate there that you staple on there, it could be turned and it could bend the metal two ways. It can bend the metal going up or it can bend the metal going out. And so, well, what's your point, preacher? The point is simply this. God has bent us in a certain direction for his glory. And while you may not be a preacher, while you may not be an evangelist, while you may not be a missionary, you are somebody that God wants to use. Here's this lady, Tabitha, who had a heart to help. And what did she help with? She helped with knitting. She helped with sewing. She looked for opportunities, and she took advantage of those opportunities. I can't help but at this moment think about Sammy Alps. Here was a man who cut grass, worked on small engines. But he would go out and find lawnmowers that people were discarding, fix them up, and give them to people. And he would give them to folks so that he could share the gospel with them. He took what he had in order to reach somebody else. I think about Scott Griffin. Scott Griffin, a man of God, loves God with all of his heart and has a passion for racing. Can I get a witness right there? Go fast. I got a son that likes to go fast. Good. Not I said, son, that's fine. Fine. You go fast, but don't break the law. And whatever you do, stay away from the fast women. Can I get a witness right there? I mean, don't do that. Scott uses what he has. Aren't you glad you came to church today? I was. Man, you get all kind of stuff when you come to church. Scott's got a calling on his life. What Scott goes, what's in front of me? What's in front of me? You know what's in front of me? Racers. Is there an opportunity for me to take advantage of this and see racers come to Jesus Christ? And today we see a testimony of an individual, not just a number, an individual who was baptized in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. God's got a calling on that man's life. And that calling is no different than the calling he has on my life. That calling is no different than the calling you've got on your life or the calling you've got on your life. I can't help but think about others. I have so many I'm thinking about in my mind. I wouldn't dare embarrass anybody. 
But God's using you. Don't you be discouraged in this age of confusion. Don't you ever forget who the agent of confusion is. God's not the author of confusion. Who is? Satan's the author of confusion. Don't you dare listen to him. He's got one bullet. Mike, listen to me, brother. I'm telling you. He's got one. I know I'm going down, so I know it's going to get dark for you watching, but I can't help it. Mike, listen to me. You might be discouraged. You look around and see what you got. A giftedness to make knives. And that giftedness you have to make knives, you do it in your heart for the glory of God. And God will give you opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Brother, I think about your job, Toyota. That'll bless your heart. There's a mission field there for you to witness and tell others about Jesus Christ. Buzzard, God even's got a going to even use it, is using you. Buzzard came to me yesterday, and, 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 and this is the pastor's, I'm t- it's a pastor's joy. I love you, and I'm not blowing smoke, or I'm not trying to be. Buzzard comes up to me, and he does this. He says, Pastor, I missed you last week. I was gone. I was out of town. He said, but those two weeks you preached before you left, he said, I'm still not over that. He says, God has arrested my heart. And I can't turn loose of it. That is what thrills a preacher's heart. To know that you're not just hearing the word, but you're applying the word and associating the word. And today, I'm challenging us to have a heart for humans. And not just have a heart for humans, but have a heart for helping. What is it that God's put in your place to help for those that are watching online? Just because we're in a pandemic doesn't mean God can't use you. He can use you. He used Peter. He can use you. I've got to hurry. I'm I'm almost out of time. Let me give you the third one. Here's the third one. And I want to spend some time on this one. A heart for humans, a heart for helping, and then number three, here's the third heart in our heart. We want to be a heart, a church after God's own heart. Here it is. We need to have a heart for heaven. A heart for heaven. In these two miracles, did you see the outcome? They're both the same. Both of them are the same. People come to know Christ as Savior. Now, I want you to hear me on this because this is where it gets hard. Both of these events developed in tragedy. Sickness and death. The miracle that came brought life, that salvation. Okay? But the outcome of that was people coming to know Christ as Savior. Notice, if you would, again, let's look at the text, if we could. The Bible tells us here in verse number 35. So, concerning Aeneas, Aeneas, so all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Turn over, if you would, uh, and find in verse 42. The Bible says, after this Tabitha come up off of her deathbed, And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed on the Lord. The outcome of both of these miracles. People come to the Lord. God's still working on me, folks. 
Many years ago, uh, Miriam and I uh, answered the call to ministry. Uh, I was 19 years old when I answered the call to ministry. I just basically said this. I said, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. You want me to be a missionary, I'll be a missionary. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I really thought the Lord was going to call me to missions. I really did, David. I, I thought I'm going to mission field. But he, he had something different. I went to Southeastern Bible College for two years. Uh, then I transferred over to Luther Rice. And then while I was at Luther Rice, a church called me. I was serving at a church in Atala, Alabama. God called me out of there and called me to Carrollton, Georgia. We moved to Carrollton, Georgia, my wife and I, an hour and a half away from our family. We're just, just the two of us. You know, that, that uh, cleave and leave thing. We did that. And now we're here in, in Georgia. And as we're here... Surrender to the ministry. God does some things in my life to help me grow up in Jesus. Let me give you just a couple of examples if I could. I'm coming down again. I'm sorry it may get a little dark. We, we are going to get the lights fixed so it won't be dark for long, but we're just not there yet. So what happened was a man in our church worked for the power company, Georgia or Power. He got electrocuted and died. He had a vehicle. And his wife came to Miriam and I and said, We just really feel like the Lord wants you to have this vehicle. So they gave us that man's vehicle. I took very precious care of that vehicle. I had only had it uh, about 10 days, to be honest with you. And I was outside washing that vehicle. And as I was washing that vehicle, Miriam was in the house. She was pregnant with her first child. I heard some screeching down the road. I look up, and a Nissan Pathfinder has lost control. Hits the ditch in front of my house and starts tumbling end over end. I mean, I was like as I'm watching it in slow motion. And finally it hit me. If I don't move out of the way, it's going to get me. So I turn and I run, Daniel, as fast as I can to the garage. Miriam said all she saw was me just up and sprinting as fast as I could. And that Nissan Pathfinder landed right on top of that car. <laughs> Crushed it. And then kept tumbling, went past me, and wound up in the yard. Now the lady, uh, she started drinking very early that morning. She was a drunk driver. She, she uh, drank. They wouldn't let me see her. I, I mean, I forgave her. I, I wanted to witness to her, David, but they wouldn't let me. because I mean, they just prevented They wouldn't tell me who she was. I, I tried my best to find her, but they wouldn't let me talk to her. The car was devastated. I looked at it and I said, well, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. <laughs> Put my wife in labor a couple of weeks later. She went into labor, but that was a stressful time in our lives with that vehicle. And uh, Alyssa was born. After Alyssa was born, our first child, and how you remember when you had your first child? My goodness, didn't it scare you to death? I mean, everything that happened, you're like, oh, she's going to die. And so she got the rotovirus, very, very bad virus, dehydrated very quickly, and we had to get her to the hospital. So we got her to the hospital, and she's there in the hospital and completely lethargic. I mean, just, I'm thinking she's going to die. Now, I'm in Bible college, I'm ordained, I've been licensed, I'm the youth pastor at a church, I'm leading people to Jesus, and here's what I do. I sit down on the seat, 
I can't believe you did this to me, God. I mean, here I am. I left my family. I've left everything to come to this foreign mission field, Georgia. And here I am in this hospital. You know, my kid's sick. Don't have any insurance. This is hard. What are you doing? I'm ashamed. I'm so ashamed. The pastor came in. He sat down beside me and he put his arm around me and he said, I know this don't make any sense to you right now because this is your baby girl. But God is just trying to teach you some very important lessons. If you will listen to him during this hard time, he will teach you something he will not be able to teach you at any other time in your life. And I got to thinking about that. And he was right. So I said, God, I want to ask you to forgive me. I'm a fool. My stupidity far exceeds any education that I have in my head. Will you forgive me? They admitted uh, Alyssa that day, gave her an IV. And did you know within a couple hours, she perked up and wanted a popsicle. And then she wanted to go home. And she's been as healthy as she's ever been ever since. You know what God was trying to teach me that day, Buzzard? That Shane still needs a lot of work. And Shane says that he trusts God. But does he trust God? When things get hard. See, some of you here today, here we are. This election is crazy. We're in this pandemic. Your jobs, you're wondering about your job. Some of you are struggling with your marriage. Some of your kids are like mine. They're sick. Some of you got sick wives. Some of you got sick husbands. And you're wondering, does God really care about me? And God's wanting to take that very difficult situation in your life and teach you something that he can't teach you at any other time. There's a man in our church. He's sitting right back here. His name's Eric. He went through a very, very difficult wreck many years ago. And what God is doing in and through him far exceeds any anger that he might have towards our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This young man that's back here owns his own business and regularly testifies to the grace of our great God. Eric, I want to publicly say, and you didn't know I was going to do this, and I didn't either till the Lord put you on my heart. Brother, you're a walking sermon for everybody that sees you and the way that you handle your situation is with grace and mercy and love you much like Peter took a difficult situation and turned it to the glory of God and in doing so you want to take as many people to heaven as possible now it's sad that you pull for North Carolina football team South Carolina it's sad but, that, but that's okay. We'll forgive you for that. Thank you for being a Peter to us. 
Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, what are you going through? What is it that you're challenged with? Could it be that God is taking that difficult situation in your life to teach you something that he couldn't teach you at any other time? I'd say yes. But could I ask you to do this then? Could you ask yourself this question? If I were to die today, do I know for sure that I'd go to heaven? Say, preacher, why that question? I'll tell you the reason why, and I'm closing. Because if you don't answer that question, you'll never know the true understanding of the difficulty you're going through. So if you can sit here today and you'd say, preacher, I do not know that I'd go to heaven when I die. I don't know that for sure. Is there a passage of scripture that could point me to the truth that I can know? Yes. It's found in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. And the Bible says this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is what the scripture says. You can know that you have eternal life. That's the Bible way of saying you're going to heaven when you die. You can know that. And the way that you know that is by believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now that belief system is not in the head, it's in the heart. It's a surrender and an act of faith. The Bible put it this way in Romans. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved from hell and be able to go to heaven with a restored relationship with God Almighty. Have you ever done that? Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never done that. You've never done that. I want you to have the freedom and liberty to do that today. The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Today's the day you can be saved. From your heart to God's heart, would you say something like this to the Lord? You don't, you don't have to say it out loud. Metaphorically, the scripture says with your mouth, but you can say it in your heart because it's a matter of faith. But would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. Today, I turn from my sins, and I trust you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where, once again, we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.